Stop living too small. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I hope you're having an incredible week, and I hope that you are living large. We're going to talk about what that means. I'm going to do this a little bit differently today. Rather than just answering questions, I'm going to be sticking to kind of a theme, this idea of living too small. Got an outrageous interview with my buddy um, Steve Sims here in just a minute I want to share with you. He's a great example of not living too small and helping other people do the same thing. So we're going to be talking about that. But here's what prompted this. I had a listener recently, 36-year-old MBA in an executive position in an exciting industry, but she shared this concern in her coaching application. She says, I have a vague sense that my life is too small. Now, let me give you a quotation for today. This is our quotation And I'll give you kind of an overview of what I'm going to do here. I'm going to talk a little bit about this idea of living life too small. And then I'm going to bring in Steve Sims, who helps other people dream bigger and make things happen based on dreaming bigger. You're going to be blown away by some of the concepts. We're going to do some takeaways from my conversation with Steve we're going to just stick to this theme and just wrap it up with that. But here's our quotation for today. It comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Now, I get to spend virtually all of my time working with people and identifying and living out their dreams. I mean, it's a whole basis of the work that I do, no matter what it is, if it's writing, speaking, coaching, you know, it's helping people identify and live out their dreams. I mean, I love the opportunity to do that. And a lot of times we do start with identifying that somebody has been living too small. And this does happen a lot, like this 36-year-old MBA. I mean, it's not uncommon to have somebody with a professional degree behind their name, whether that's a DDS or an MD or a JD or a PhD. Even though they've achieved some kind of professional success, just the sense that they're living life too small. Now, living large does not necessarily mean a bigger salary, a bigger house, fancier cars or big retirement fund. It has nothing to do with fancy vacations or the latest fashions. Rather, I think it means having a a life that's full of meaning and purpose. And that can occur or be absent at any place on the continuum of the traditional parameters of success. I mean, like me, I'm sure you've seen millionaires who are living life small. I mean, isn't that sad to see somebody who has seemingly unlimited financial resources, and yet they're stingy. You know, they tip a dollar. (laughs) I mean, I've I've been embarrassed at being at lunch with people sometimes and seeing how they tip. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, can you not share a little bit more of your abundance? Anyway, 
you know, the millionaires who are living life small and those with scarce financial resources who are living large. So let me ask you this. What is your life saying to the world? Are you living your life too small? Is it so full of meaningless tasks that there's no room left for the things that make your heart sing? Are you pushing so hard in doing more that you've lost the sense of being more? Does more activity really equal greater accomplishment or does it at some point tip the scale and begin to diminish the meaning of your life? I mean, we're, we're caught up in this idea of being busy, having our lives so full at every moment. You know, does that really mean that we're living more fully? Well, not necessarily at all. I mean, are you creating the legacy you want to leave for your loved ones? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want to give us a little exercise here. Here we are at the end of March. So we're still kind of in a new year, but we're already at the end of the first quarter. Seems amazing, doesn't it? So I want you to reflect back on these first three months of 2018. Yeah, just this year so far. What have you done to keep your life from being too small? Now think about it. Can you identify four or five ideas you had for a better job or starting your own business. I mean, this doesn't mean that you just, you know, burn the bridges and rock the boat at every turn. No, but have you had four or five ideas for things you can do? That's healthy, even if you decide to continue doing what you're doing. Can you identify three things that you did just to help someone out with no expectation of payback? Can you list the books you read or listened to that enlightened your, your spirit, your confidence, your knowledge, your wisdom? Let me ask you this. How many hours have you spent just in quiet contemplation? You know, Henry Ford used to pay people to think. I mean, he didn't want people who were always just busy. He wanted people who would tip their chair back, put their feet up on their desk, close their eyes and think, knowing that it's in those periods of time that we get great creativity, and new ideas with potential to change the world. What are two or three things you've done in these first three months that you've never done before? Now, again, we know the modern definition of insanity. You can't just continue doing what you've always done and expect any kind of change to occur. So what are two or three things you've done in these first three months that you've never done before? What concerts, art shows, Seminars, workshops, or other enriching experiences have you had? What are two or three specific things you did to strengthen the relationships that mean the most to you? Now, those are seven questions I just went through. If you have no responses to these seven questions, chances are strong that you're living your life too small. Now, you notice in there, I didn't say how much money have you earned in the first three months of this year, because it really doesn't matter if you earned a thousand dollars a month or a hundred thousand dollars a month, because there's a potential for living your life too small, regardless of where you are financially. To make it a practice to embrace living large, those times in your life, I mean, wisdom, peace, contentment, insight about investing your, your life and fulfilling work is going to grow in those times. I mean, take a walk. Give thanks for simple things. I mean, take a bath with music playing, candles burning, turn off your phone, TV, computer. I mean, carve out those times for restoration and spiritual breathing. 
Again, don't confuse activity with accomplishment. Don't let your life be too small. I want to give you a couple tips here. Think about the possibility of replacing but with and. Now I'll put this in the notes because I want this to be, I want this to be embedded in your mind so you keep thinking about it. When you find yourself saying but, I mean, I'm in San Diego, but it's raining, so I have to stay inside. What if I change that to, I'm in San Diego and it's raining, so I'll spend more time inside connecting with the amazing attendees at this conference. Or how about this, I wanted to raise, but no, I wanted to raise and now I see that this company is going nowhere, so I'm giving myself 48 days to create an exit plan. Or I wanted to lose weight in January, but no, that just takes you down a defeatist path. I wanted to lose weight in January, and now I've got a clear plan to lose 15 pounds in April. That's the way I want you to look at it. Now, I want to play my conversation with Steve Sims. Steve has a brand new book out, Blue Fishing. That's kind of how I was introduced to him. Blue Fishing. I'll tell you a little bit more about that after the interview. But in that, he tells some of the things that he's done to help people enlarge their dreams. He's a delightful guy, born in England. You'll hear that quickly in his accent. I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to the IQ versus I can. He says, I don't care about somebody's IQ. I care about their I can. There's a saying from his father that he learned. There's an incident I asked him about when he was with his mother when he was a little boy, that you'll really hear the importance of that. So let's listen to this interview and then we'll just wrap things up with this idea of stop living life too small. Well, Steve, it's a delight to have you on. I've already told my audience about your wonderful book and a little bit about what you do, but thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us today. It's a pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, you have a lot of titles with the things that you've done, and now you can add author to that, but there's something that I like a whole lot more, and I've heard you referred to as the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Yeah, Forbes Forbes called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. It's a pretty good handle. You know, that's a great handle, and it's so fitting for what you do. Now, we're going to tell people about some of the things that you've been able to do, but recently, Steve, I got a note from a 30-year-old female MBA in an executive position, and she said this. She said, I have the vague feeling that my life is too small. Now, you deal with that a lot. What is it, though, that makes people live their lives too small? They're, they're willing to settle. They dilute their dreams. They, and, and the one single thing that I find the most, uh, that stops most people from going big is humiliation. I feel a lot of people are not as frightened of failing as they are of being laughed at. So I get mm. people come to me going, hey, I'd like, to do, I'd like to do this. And it's not until you quiz them a little bit longer that you find out that that dream and ambition is far greater but they're frightened of you laughing at them telling you what really makes them, you know, turned on, what makes them passionate, what arouses them. So part of my job is to be a therapist to really get in and find out what that passion button is, 
But I find a lot of people are just scared of being laughed at by, by trying something big. You know, and I love I love the fact that you describe yourself as a therapist because uh, with your background, we wouldn't position you as such. And yet the way you ask questions, <laughs> it really is true. Uh, give us a couple examples like of somebody taking, you know, taking them down in a submarine to see the Titanic or the, the guy who wanted to just get a backstage pass to see Journey, a band that he really had modeled and sung cover yeah. songs. Tell us about how you expanded his dream. Well, he came to us because um, when he was a college lad, he used to earn money by um, singing lead for a cover band, a Journey cover band. And fast forward through, you know, going broke a few times and divorce and sickness. And basically like everyone's life, they have, uh, they have hurdles and speed bumps. And all the way through his life, Journey had kind of like been the theme tune of his life. So fast forward now into his 50s, very su successful. He came to me because he wanted to thank the band, and he said, I'd like to meet them and shake their hand. And I said to him quite simply, you're telling me after this life journey, pardon the pun, that would do it? That would be the climax? That would be the end of the movie? And he was like, Ugh. and I went, no, 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 that's not going to do it. So I actually contacted the band Journey and told them about this guy that had been there since day one, how he, they had been the theme tune to his movie, um, what could we do to give an appropriate climax? They got behind it, and he actually went on stage in San Diego, live in front of the stadium, and sang four tunes, all the pyrotechnics, smoke machines, the, the whole works, and is deemed as the world's shortest lead singer of the rock band <laughs> journey. And to me, going on stage with the band in full swing, that's how you end a movie. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. <laughs> but now... There's also a testimony to your approach here in that story, because I know you went behind the scenes to get them on board. One of the connection points was the fact that a son of the drummer had autism, as did this gentleman you were working with. I mean, I love that you dig deep enough to find a reason for somebody to care. Well, there's got to be a win-win. Every relationship you get into you get into the relationship because you know it benefits you. You have to make it very, uh, very open and very transparent very quickly that there's a win in it for them. So before I contacted Journey, my re research was not on how it can benefit my client. How can it benefit Journey? And I knew yeah. they were going on tour. I knew that they were doing a revival concert series. I knew they had a new album coming out, blah, -de blah, all of that stuff. But then I discovered that the band, the, as you say, the drummer of the band's uh, passion was actually the charity Autism Speaks. And I found the, uh, the connection with my client. So I actually homed in on that. And I said, look, I've got something which can benefit that. You know I'm going to be asking you for something, but I want you to listen to me because I'm going to be helped not only able to promote the tour, which is going to make the managers happy and the fund managers happy, but how you can actually raise awareness for Autism Speaks. So I got in there and spoke to a benefit uh, that they never thought presented to them. And then, of course, you know, down the line, money comes up, but I gave them a reason to keep me on the phone first. Absolutely. Man, that's brilliant. And when, when people look at you and see how you have access 
too, you know, Elton John and Richard Branson, and we go on and on and on, <laughs> you know, and they think there's some kind of magic. It's because you take the time to do a little research and find a valid connection point. What do they care about? Oh, my God. Do you know, so I don't want to kind of, I look so fantastic at communication and building up relationships only because everyone else is getting so terribly bad at it. <laughs> and as long as they keep thinking by sending out a tweet is, is the best way to communicate with someone, I'm looking like gold dust. So please, I urge everyone to still be bad because it's the only reason I'm in business. Oh, my gosh. Well, you're knocking it out of the park because you take that unique approach and again it is brilliant hey i want to jump into a couple things that i read in the book blue fishing you talk about even in your own childhood walking down the street with your mama in london and across the street a store that had some fancy handbags in the window mm. you said hey let's go look at those you know she enjoys it and she said no 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 that's not for us you know that's for other people Yep. And even in a little, as you being a young kid, that sparked something in you that was like, why not us? Yep. Yeah, I was the Irish, uh, little Irish boy living in London with my family. And I just remember holding on to my mum's hand on the other side of the road. We weren't even in front of the actual window. We were on the other side of the road. She was that intimidated by those luxury prices and those luxury brands in the 80s. She wouldn't even cross the road and look in the window. And I do remember her yanking me back and saying that and just being just being torn up inside going, why? Why can we not walk in there and just look at a handbag? What is so terrifying about a handbag? I couldn't see it. I was so ignorant to that humiliation. I think that's one of my things that was my secret source at the time. Oh, my. Well, that's that belief that there is no wall, and that's how you describe it in your book. You break down a wall. There's not really a wall there except what's between our own two ears. Mm -hmm. Here, here's another one that I've heard you talk about when people say, well, I'd like to, but. Oh, they spend, <laughs> someone will come to you and they will say something like, I would like to go to space or I would like to walk down the white carpet with Sir Elton John. Then before you comment, they spend the next 20 to 30 seconds telling you every reason why it can't happen. And you know the old saying, if you tell yourself it can't, you're right. And I'm just stunned why people will spend so much effort telling you why it can't be done rather than the one reason why it should. And how it possibly could. That is, it's well, amazing. If you want it to happen, it can. It's only impossible until someone does it. We've got all these little quotes that say that you can and you should, but if you tell yourself you can't, then you've just shot yourself in the foot straight away. It just makes no sense to me. Uh, well, Steve, you are talking to an audience here of people who are always being challenged to think bigger, to link arms, share resources and ideas, and go places they've never gone before. But one of the things also that I know as a pet peeve of yours is that is about somebody's IQ. Is it, <laughs> is it their IQ that is going to determine their level of success? Yeah, I found a lot of people that focus on this IQ, and I've always been a great believer in the I can. And so I don't want people to stand there analyzing the hell out of something only to look at the guy next to him that got up one day and just tried it. Because every time you try it and fail, you learn how not to do it. That's your education. I class myself now as an educated individual. School had nothing to do it. 
do with it. It was the school of falling over and getting back up again that made me educated as I am. Wow. Now, you're a master at putting together events, getting people engaged, excited, and involved. And one of the concepts that you use is to have a password. When you were a bouncer at clubs <laughs> in Hong Kong, you know, you, you created a password that people had. Now, knowing that they had to pay to get in, they were going to spend money in there. But the password, describe to us a little bit about that concept. I love this concept. I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to be affluent. I knew I wanted to have money. I, know I, I knew I wanted the golden trinkets of what I visualized at the time of, as success. So if you're going to want all those trinkets of the affluent world, you do it by first of all hanging around with affluent people. Because quite simply, poor people can't afford you. It was as simple as that. So I would throw a party. I would invite affluent people to come along. I would charge them anywhere from like 500 bucks to $5,000 to get into my events, but I would give them a password because if someone turned up at the door and they didn't have the humility, the confidence, the tongue-in-cheek, I'm out to have a fun night attitude that they wouldn't just come out with this quirky password, I didn't want them in my door because I knew as the gatekeeper, forget the club, the gatekeeper of my life, if I let a-holes walk through it, they don't get better with time. So that password was there to filter. And I would have captains of industry come in, and I used to use, there were three main passwords, but one of them, and I would send out a fax or an email saying, it's this location at this time, and they'd already have paid by then, and I would say, name two of the Teletubbies, or <laughs> name, name, and this, this one got a lot of people, name the lion out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, oh my. or the... Yeah, or the last one was uh, finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. So people used to come up to me and my fellow meathead on the door of this party, and they would lean in and they'd go, tinky winky po. And we'd, let, <laughs> we'd say, you're it. And it was just so funny. But you used to get people come up to you and they'd be like, oh, I'm here for the party. And, you know, you're on the edge of a yacht, so the yacht's bouncing, there's all the people on there, the music's blaring, and we'd be like, sorry, mate, there's no party here. And we would just blank them and move them on. And then the next guy would come up to you and go, blue fish. We'd be like, in you go. Have a good night. And it was just a great filter. And I've always applied filters in absolutely everything I do to make sure it's the right people that get to play in my sandpit. You know, my son and I recently went to a Johnny Cash tribute evening here just outside of Nashville, and it was set up in the same way. Perhaps they stole your idea, but we had to have the, the password was I am a dreamer. We had to be dressed in black and say I'm a dreamer. And we went to this gathering place where there were a lot of people, and you could spot immediately the people who knew the password and who were dressed appropriately to go to the next stage, which was at another <laughs> hidden location. Ah, love it. I had, uh, I had a party a couple of weekends ago because I worked with Elton John for his Oscar party. And on the Friday night prior to the Oscars, I have a pre-party. And the guests that turn up, they never know where they, they're going. And this has been going on for about four years. This year, I made some incredibly affluent people from all over the world. I had clients as far as Melbourne, Japan, Malaysia, uh, Pakistan, from all over the planet. I made them turn up at a lift, and they had to be there at 7 o'clock at night in order to get in this lift, go downstairs, to be taken to where the party was. And I stood up on this like penthouse looking down, just watching all these incredibly 
uh, powerful people that own companies and in some cases small countries just <laughs> stood outside a lift waiting to get in at seven o'clock. So I believe there's a space for people wanting to have that kind of fun. Oh my gosh. And to make it special. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, yeah, got, yeah. got two more questions for you, Steve here. Your dad had a profound statement about falling in the water. That was uh, again, a motivator for you when you were young. Tell us what that was and why it's so powerful. So this is uh, I believe not, your, your, your listeners, they can't see me. Can they? No, they cannot. Right. So they can't see how stunningly good looking I am and no, how I was there. I'll send them to bit. some links. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a biggish lad, you know, typical Irish boy. My dad was a big lumpering thug of a bloke. And we were walking down the road and he was on his like 30th cigarette in the last 20 minutes. He was not conversing with me. There was no conversation. I don't know, even know where we were walking to. But without breaking a stride, without looking at me, he places his hand on my shoulder as we're walking, takes a cigarette out of his mouth, and he says, son, no one ever uh, drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. He took his hand off my shoulder, carried on smoking and carried on walking. I'm about 16, 70 years old, and it stopped me, and I'm like, what the hell was all that about? And I literally had to catch up with him because it had stopped me in my stride. And I just remember thinking, what was that? And it wasn't until years later that I realized, and it's become my mantra, I should probably get it tattooed somewhere, but I've noticed how many people allow their failures to define them rather than refine them. And there's nothing more powerful uh, than knowing that you have the ability to actually get up out of that water. Wow. Nobody drowns by falling in water. They drown. They by drown. That's right. That, oh, I love that. All right. Here's my last one. You say knowing how to network and build relationships will get you farther than an unlimited bank account every time. Tell us why that's true. If you, there has to be a why, there has to be a win, and you have to engage in people. If you, if you want to work with Elton John, you phone up and you go, hey, how much is it going to cost me to do this next week? They're going to hang up on you. That's even if you're lucky enough to even have that phone number. What you've got to do is give a reason, give a reason for them to want to engage with you, to get on the same level, to buy into the passion. So you've got to communicate. To be able to communicate, you've got to form a relationship and provide that win-win. I have worked with some of the most important people in the world, ranging from the Vatican to A-list in Hollywood, and the money has always been the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth subject in the conversation. The first conversation is, I want to introduce you why you want to keep me on the phone. I want to let you know why this is a great project that I have that you want to be part of. I want to give you a reason to have me in this arena. Those are the important things. It's how to establish a strong relationship and desire to connect in a very short period of time. Yes, money and checkbooks do open doors. In my experience, not the doors you want to go through. And a relationship has a far greater ROI on it than any kind of Bitcoin ever will. Wow. Man, that's, that's wisdom right there. That's solid. Well, the book is Blue Fishing. I certainly recommend you pick it up. We're going to give you some links to go to that, Steve. If they, You have in the back of this the Bluefish playbook that really lets people kind of see into this, and you have this as a free resource on your site. So if people go to stevedsims, 
sims.com sims with one m i'll put the link in the show notes here they can get access to that and check that out golly man this has been a delight thank you so much for spending time <laughs> your energy is so contagious we need to spread it all over the world keep doing what you're doing i love the fact that you're bringing people's dreams to life and helping make the world a more exciting place to be cheers pal thank you all right the uh well, all right, there you go. <laughs> My conversation with Steve Sims. Now, you can tell he's not a, a normal guy in any sense of the word. But I love how he takes somebody's idea and expands it, makes the dream bigger, and then helps it come to reality. I mean, here's some of the things that he's done. I mean, somebody wanted to go down on a submarine. He said, so he arranged a submarine trip down to see the Titanic. I mean, let's ramp it up. I mean, somebody wanted to drive a, an Austin Martin. So he set up an entire James Bond weekend for the person. Now, you already heard about how he took somebody's desire to meet the band Journey, just shake their hand backstage and turn it into a totally different experience and put him on stage singing a lead in four songs from the stage. I mean, there's been a whole lot of recording people, ZZ Tops, Billy Gibbons. Somebody got to play guitar with him. Uh, somebody got to play drums with Guns N' Roses drummer, uh, Matt Sorum. God, he's had people appear as walk-ins on their favorite TV show. Somebody wanted to drive a supercar 200 miles an hour, put that together. Somebody wanted to swim as sharks in South Africa. Mm, got somebody who wanted to drive a Formula One car. That took place. Uh, somebody who had the Top Gun challenge to actually fly a military jet. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. VIP party access to the Super Bowl. Watching the Formula One in Monaco with royalty, sitting with royalty. I mean, it's things, it sounded like things out of First Night. I mean, one of the movies that uh, we really enjoy. Just making magical things happen. Well, it goes on and on. I love the kind of things that he's put together. Help somebody find a 1960s Ferrari to purchase. I mean, just those kind of things that people think, wow, that's not really possible. Yes, it is. Well, again, if you want to have your uh, thinking, your belief system stretched, pick up the book Blue Fishing. You can go to Steve D. Sims. That's Steve's website to, to check him out there. We're going to wrap up with that. We're going to just make this an abbreviated segment because I want to stay with this one theme rather than diluting it with any other questions, just this one theme. But I want you to kind of recap some things here as we wrap up. Keep in mind that dichotomy that Steve talked about between IQ versus I can. I mean, we've been enamored with IQ. Gee, what's somebody's IQ? Are you in the Mensa Society where you have an IQ of 140? Well, whoop-de-doo. You know, we don't care where you are on that continuum. What we care about is how big is your I can? How big is your I can? Not your IQ. His dad's statement, no one ever drowned from falling in the water. They drowned if they stayed there. And I have thought about that so many times since I had the privilege of talking with Steve. No one ever drowned from falling in the water. Well, we think that's the end of the story. You know, somebody drowned because of, well, no. They didn't drown unless they stayed there. And replace but with and. That's a biggie. Replace but with and. That'll make a difference in how you view things. 
and what you think is possible. If you just simply do that, instead of saying, you know, I'd like to go on vacation, but I'll just say I'd like to go on vacation. And we just booked a cruise for January of 2019. You know, finish it out with an and rather than a but, which seems to be a reason why it won't happen. And just like Steve said, if you can describe all the reasons it won't happen, guess what? It won't. Well, are you living your life too small? Hey, I trust you're not. I'll list these seven questions that I ask you. I'll put those in the show notes. Just go to 48days.com, click on the podcast, and I'll have all the notes there. Those questions to ask yourself to help you stretch your thinking. It doesn't mean you're going to triple your income, may not have anything to do with it. You may, in fact, decrease your income, but increase your ability to live life larger as a result of doing that. So, hey, thanks for being part of this community. I love connecting with you each week. Thanks for the your ongoing notes. Golly, I get so many notes from people giving me suggestions, ideas that I go explore, giving me clips for music that's appropriate. Just, have you thought about this? Have you seen this article? Do you know this person? I mean, I love the fact that you all keep sending me things like that. Be sure to send in your success stories as well as your questions that may be challenging. You can do that. Just ask Dan at 48days.com. You can always do it right there. So thanks for being part of this growing community of people where we can make a difference in the world because we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. We know there's no limit. We know we can increase our I can, even if an AIQ is fixed. Don't settle for less.